Hey, welcome to Info Under the Radar, the show where we talk with an expert to simplify everyday ideas, concepts, and subjects that surround us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Info Under the Radar. I'm your host, Vishwajit. And I'm Devendra. And today we are talking about beliefs. Uh, maybe sounds like a heavy topic. Uh, kind of is actually. Uh, we talked about beliefs and belief systems. Um, basically how beliefs are formed. In particular, we looked uh, from the lens of politics. So political beliefs, their formation, and what can lead to change in beliefs of an individual. We talked to a political scientist, uh, Professor Bert Bakker, who is an associate professor of political communication and journalism in University of Amsterdam. He also did his postdoc in the same university. Um, he's someone who has expertise in psychological roots of political beliefs of citizens. He also co-founded a hot politics lab uh, in which they study the role of emotions and personality in politics. He also is associate editor at the Journal of Experimental Political Science. So someone I would say with a lot knows of a bit research. about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit. Just a no, little no. bit. <laughs> I think we should do justice to our guest. He was. Uh, I think he gave us very good insights into yeah. uh, political beliefs and beliefs in general. Mm-hmm. Now it was very interesting talking to him. Um, also because on the forefront of it if you take these two words, which is belief or belief systems and uh, politics and people's belief about it, it sounds almost like, yeah, okay. It's like a coffee shop conversation or a take a walk with your friend, like conversation or some sort of that, or maybe I think on- it's more like middle of the night, three beers in conversation <laughs> or four glasses. We both live in very different worlds. <laughs> <laughs> middle of the night is where beers are already out of the equation. Something stronger fair. has to be there. That's fair. I just wanted to be nice on podcast. Okay, it's just where beers are happening. <laughs> now, but it sounds very colloquial. It sounds very, uh, something that people would already know of, which is true. To some extent we do, but then to dissect it and understand it in a way that, okay, there is some proof, there is some theory, there is some scientific way of approaching and understanding it. That's what Professor Bakker brought to the table and which was uh, in, in many ways, a lot of new facets were being put into limelight to us. Other than um, other than that, about talking about beliefs and belief system, about political belief, let's, uh, we touched a variety of topics in under that umbrella term which is, as we, as I just mentioned, that how do you first start to think about experimenting? And then how do you, like talking about experimenting on how people react to various different viewpoints when they're presented with it? Because that's essentially, that's, we also want to know that, okay, this is your belief system. Is it possible to change it? Is it possible to measure if it has changed or not? So we talked about that. Yeah, I think it was very interesting to hear that what data they found, it's not surprising. But it was interesting that how much people have a negative reaction when they see something which is against their belief system mm-hmm. compared to the joy they get when they see a belief which they agree with. Yeah. So, no, it's, it was actually the, the contrary that they, you didn't see uh, they were doing some sort of a measuring of a smiling muscle. Yeah. And when 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 and when a coherent or a congruent opinion is presented, you didn't see much of a smile. But when an opposing thing was presented, then you can see that okay, hmm, I don't really like it. So mm. you would expect 
you would expect that okay something around the lunch could happen but to see it having some quantitative measure that was very exciting yeah. personally to me um at this point we might give off the opinion that okay it's going to be a very scientific political science based type of a discussion we tend to differ a bit which is we try to extrapolate the logic outside of political science as well and to make it mm-hmm. seem as if okay these principles do apply to other areas of uh, beliefs in your life because beliefs do not just restrict themselves to politics we try to understand the very basic of how a belief is formed in the first place what are the constituent elements of it maybe and mm-hmm. then what how do how do people who study beliefs categorize it in one way or the other like we talked about the strength and stuff like that so that you can relate it with other aspects of your life maybe at least i do mm-hmm. after the conversation a bit so maybe you right. do as well i i think for me personally the mm-hmm. most in, uh, interesting thing uh, was that how can actually we change our beliefs i mm-hmm. think that's what a lot of people do want to know okay they have a belief which might can be even bothering at times and how can we even think about changing and what are the factors which plays into an account of uh, leading such a big change in life so uh, so some people like me might find it very insightful and besides that we also talked about how quote and quote sophisticated people tend to go in extreme so his definition mm-hmm. of sophisticated person from political lenses who understand people who are understanding politics or the political mm-hmm. systems usually these people tend to be educated um maybe well they informed. can consider as a sophisticated person well jo- joking aside i think we both are actually mm-hmm. uh, by his definition so yeah. people who are well informed who tend to think their beliefs are uh, formed almost and they actually interestingly tend to go and go on political extremes sometimes because they align so strongly with yeah. their beliefs such as environment so they can be very pro on the left in the context mm-hmm. of america for example mm-hmm. and it's uh, interesting to hear what are psychological reasoning behind it as well yeah so yeah so there was there was very interesting to me as well so without any further ado we would welcome professor bakar and all the research all the things that has been mentioned during the course of the conversation we'll find all of that in the show notes below and let's head to the conversation shall we So hello Dr Bakker how are you doing uh, very well yes uh, thank you thank you so much for taking out time for us early in the morning um mm-hmm. yeah um so basically uh one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you was mm-hmm. this genuine curiosity at least both of us have is how uh sort of beliefs form or what does even belief even means i mean of course all of us have rough idea of what a belief look like people have religious belief uh, people have beliefs related to i don't know their sports team or whatever um so before going into the nitty gritties of it and more like the work you have been doing especially related to political beliefs would be interesting mm-hmm. if you maybe just share um what do you consider a belief is and maybe mm-hmm. how beliefs are formed at the first place uh yes <laughs> uh thank you well these are excellent questions and uh you know uh, I- i'm happy that we have a chance to uh to talk about this um and what are beliefs so i'm going to talk define it a little bit more narrowly because um i'm in the end uh, a social scientist most interested in 
uh, the beliefs about uh, citizens that citizens have about politics. But but how I um, how I see it, let's first think about the observation. What can we see? Well, we can ask you what you think about migration, COVID, um, healthcare, uh, uh, the climate change, uh, and I can obviously narrow that down to very specific questions about each of these topics, but but a belief uh, system is uh, the system of how the attitudes, so your opinions towards these different topics, so that can be issues, such as political issues, but it can obviously also be leaders. What do you think about Ursula von der Leyen? What do you think about Vladimir Putin? Uh, and it can obviously also be the parties. And that that belief system is a set of dimensions that capture how you think about politics. And, and generally when it comes to, um, to, to um, domestic politics, so in Western European countries and in, um, or actually also in the Eastern Europe, as well as in the United States, we see that there are two broad dimensions. So social cultural attitudes, so attitudes towards gay rights, uh, abortion, immigration, uh, people have considered them symbolic, right? So they, they have a um, sometimes considered maybe a more emotional attachment to it. And there is a economic dimension uh, consisting of attitudes towards uh, redistribution, the role of the government in the state, uh, uh, healthcare spending. And, and um, these, these are two broad dimensions. So people's attitudes towards cultural issues such as gay rights, abortion, um, they, they, they go together. If you're relatively progressive when it comes to abortion, quite a few people will be also relatively progressive when it comes to migration. But they might not automatically be relatively progressive when it comes to their attitude towards economic issues, right? Uh, so they might not automatically support massive redistribution of money, uh, uh, progressive taxation. So they, the two independent uh, clusters. So your question, well, what is a, what is a belief? Uh, what, is a, what is a belief? Uh, for me, it's a, a set of attitudes towards political issues that cluster in dimensions. The second part of the question was, well, how are they formed? Uh, this, is a, this is a big question, right? This is, this is uh, uh, not limited to one particular explanation. Uh, but there, there are a set of aspects that, that shape this. So um, people interested in behavior genetics uh, have shown that attitudes are to uh, some extent heritable in a sense that um, you partly share the attitudes that your parents also had. Um, that also does, doesn't mean that there is like an ideology in your genes, right? It, it's, mm -hmm. uh, it's more complex than that. Mm -hmm. um, there's not like a, a conservative or progressive gene, uh, uh, but, but um, they also show uh, that um, the family, so there's the genetic component, there's the family influence. So family, mm -hmm. how you raise your kids, right? I'm raising three kids. Uh, I like to think that I have some influence that, aside from my genetic makeup that I, mm -hmm. the effort I put in it uh, has uh, some positive uh, effects on them. And uh, obviously um, you, your family environment partly uh, determines how kids have a view of the world. Think about think about things like tolerance or intolerance, right? How you behave as a parent has maybe some downstream effects on your kids. And then there is the unique environment. Um, 
kids quickly go to school. They have experiences that are independent from you. They go to sports clubs. They have friends. Um, so that 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 these three factors play a role in uh, all three to some extent when it comes to shaping, uh, 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 having an influence on your beliefs. That is relatively abstract. Um, so what can we think of more uh, proximal uh, explanations? Well, um, we know in, in many countries that uh, that religiosity, uh, that, that, that you're being affiliated with a, a church and being religious has um, coincides with having uh, uh, specific beliefs, whether or not it's the church that causes the attitudes or the attitudes causes the church. That is an open-ended question, but um, that is that is that is another aspect that is that is really important. Uh, I work at a communications department, so let me structure this a little bit. So we have the 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 genes, the shared environment, the family influences, the unique environment mm -hmm. um, that's come from the behavior genetic. We have the 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 religious component. Uh, mm -hmm. Communication scientists uh, obviously also study how the information environment conditions your beliefs. So the news you consume, the information that you get, that that might influence to some extent the opinions that you hold towards politics. But on the other hand, communication scientists also show that people's political beliefs shape the information they consume, right? Mm -hmm. We're not all following Donald Trump because we agree with him. We might also follow him because we disagree with him and therefore not per se be influenced by him. Mm -hmm. This is a set, but it's it's not a... a, a it's, it's not an de exhaustive definition of it. No, it's not exhausted. Mm -hmm. And But but I, I want to make this last point is that um, everybody that is... Scientists that would claim that there's one explanation that would determine your political preferences, they, they underestimate the complexity of human beings. There's not a single variable that would suddenly explain why you are left-wing or right-wing, progressive or conservative. Uh, that uh, you, human beings are too complex for that. I, I, I was wondering, so of course, uh, as you were trying to explain with the with like the mm -hmm. let's say the political spectrum and the examples of yeah. how gay rights or abortion or or things like that sort of form like a belief system per se uh, if we step aside from yeah. the political yeah. beliefs let's say yeah. uh, in in your field do you all guys also define like different types of beliefs so for example at least in day-to-day -day lingo when i am talking to a friend i would say this is my deeply held belief or yeah. this is just I believe I have. Are, are there like a actual, let's say, definitions which you guys are defining? If yes, then what are they? And, yeah, so, and how do so, you define them? So one distinction is that we have uh, attitudes that cluster in the in these attitudes towards political issues that cluster in these dimensions, social and uh, economic dimensions. And then often there's a third dimension, like what people think about foreign policy uh, uh, is slightly different from that. But then... Uh, the the added the, the the identification the the effective identification we have with parties and politicians so i'm talking about western democracies mostly or at least democracies uh, where you have multiple competitors people might attach themselves as like group identification as the, so this is influenced by social psychologists uh, where um they say that um you become part of the political team and part of your self-worth becomes connected to 
the party. So, so the success of the party. So if I say I am supporter of party X and I realize that you guys are also supporters of party X, we might feel connected immediately. But if you are part of party Y and I'm part of party X, we might immediately feel separate from each other. It's, it's like soccer, right? Uh, um, uh, supporters of Bayern München uh, uh, feel very different about supporters from Borussia Dortmund, for instance. Um, and um, uh, so, so that suggests that the attachments we have to parties and politicians is effectively charged. It is part of who we are. And, and more uh, symbolic. So, so while the issue attitudes that we have that cluster in these social and economic dimensions might be um, more complex uh, um, and maybe less, uh, it's an open-ended question how effectively charged these are, uh, they, they might be, uh, but that's a, that's a distinction that is being made in the belief system, sort of the, the issue attitudes versus uh, the, the parties. But, you know, you're talking to scientists, so I, I I always make the world a little bit more complex for people who very much care about climate. You can really start identifying with people who are also in, share your position. So think about the Fridays for Future march, marches. If that, if if you really think like this is the most important issue that is facing our country today, and you find people that share that that belief, and you form a group and you identify with each other, then that becomes as effectively charged and as part of your social identity as the parties can be. Um, and this, I'm just giving the pro-climate, uh, uh, but this can you can think about the opposition to the corona policies, uh, you can think about pro or anti-migration. So, so issues can also get this symbolic identification component to it. But but I, I I'm trying to still understand that does not yeah. that does not really answer uh, my question, mm. which was more about the types of belief rather. Uh, okay. Be, because my, my question was what are different uh, uh, different types of beliefs if there are any like because how like is there a way because as you said as a as a mm -hmm. scientist do you define like okay this like quantitatively are you def can you define even. If yeah. uh, certain beliefs are strong or weakly held, or yeah. I don't know something in between. Well, so very interesting work has been done by uh, a colleague of mine who is now at the University of um, uh, of Michigan State, in the United States, Mark Brandt, and he argues that beliefs should be seen as as a network, as a system, where you are in the center, and the the things that are closest to you that are the strongest beliefs that you have, if you say are often parties and politicians. That is the issue. Most people, if you talk to a random person on the street in a random country, if you talk about politics, it's quite often starts with parties and politicians. All right. So that's just the strength. Then this, the outer layer are the issues where then the clustering happens, as I said to you earlier, like social is social cultural issues cluster together, have stronger connected. So your opinions towards these different issues are closer to each other. And if you are strong on, if you have a strong position on abortion, you also have a strong position on gay rights. And as separate clusters are seen for the economic policy dimensions and the foreign policy dimensions. So, so in that sense, if you say, well, what's the different types of beliefs? I think the current function thinking is more that it might be more a network where 
the strength or the centrality of it mm. might might depend on what part of politics we talk. So parties and politicians closer and more coherently structured. If you like one party, you dislike the other. So they're very far from apart and it's consistent for well. And, and then the issues as an, as an outer layer where the connections are weaker. Why is that? Why would issues be weaker? Well, politics is complex. Name a particular issue. You can, you can think about climate. You can be pro or anti. You can think that you know climate change is happening or not. But then the nuances start, right? It's more complex than that. Should we invest in nuclear energy or not? Should we tax companies or not? And that quickly becomes, for the average citizen, relatively complex. Why is that? Well, we, we're not following all the, the political nuances and all the debates, right? So then it, it moves a little bit. It also becomes less central to your belief system. Mm-hmm. Is that a bad thing? Maybe not, right? Um, most of us have other things to do than studying politics that what I do, right? So mm-hmm. most people are not paying constant attention to politics. They have to raise their family. They have to provide their livings. They have a job. They have friends. And so they, 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 they might be exposed a few minutes a day to politics. And, and so it's maybe not so surprising that parties and politicians are then the, the strongest part of the, the belief system. So mm-hmm. it's not that we say there's a separate, so to summarize, mm-hmm. that it's not, the, my current reading of the literature is not that we have separate belief systems in our brain, but it's a network where the centrality differs and the you strength s- of the connections. You said something like you've, you've defined in an interesting way that, okay, when we talk about types, we might not really have strict segregation of it, but it's primarily mm-hmm. dependent on okay, me being at the center. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then depending on the issue, whether we are talking about political science, whether we are talking yep. about socioeconomic issues, then the closer there would be some beliefs closer to me that in the network yep. that I would call stronger. And then yep. there would be second and third order effects of it. Yep. I have a couple of follow-ups on that. The first yep. most basic ones that First thing, this extends not just to politics, in my opinion, then if my understanding is correct, it could go to religion as well, that if I'm, let's yeah. say, Catholic, yeah. then my uh, socioeconomic or my so- or my social life would also be affected by those values. So that's that yeah. may be a second order yeah. effect of yeah. someone following Islam, not uh, drinking alcohol becomes a second order effect when going to parties and yeah. stuff. Um, however, you define this as some sort of a network. Mm-hmm. Where, which is my first question comes, networks essentially are causal in nature. Mm-hmm. However, when you say, let's take your example, political beliefs that I support mm-hmm. party A and that is more progressive. Mm-hmm. So I support, let's say abortion rights or mm-hmm. LGBTQ plus A, LGBTQA plus uh, rights. Mm-hmm. Are these second order effects that we have? Are these just mm-hmm. correlated by the virtue of me supporting party A or there is some causality to them? <laughs> That's an excellent question. Um, part of this is an, is an empirical answer. So the, the network thinking is, is relatively new. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, how networks over time develop. Uh, Mark Blunt is partly studying this and a couple of other people are looking into this, but it's, it's really, we're, we're really sketch, scratching the surface there. The question, how, is your second question, is, is essentially, well, what causes what right mm-hmm. are what determines that we that that we support a particular party and the downstream effects of supporting that party um this has been a, a an empirical question for a social scientist for uh, decades 
Um, and there are different theories here about how we should think about, about this. But my reading of the current state of the art, which I partly contributed to myself, is that um, it's most likely a reciprocal, reciprocal cycle. And um, so if you are strong endorser of the party. So what we, what we, uh, let me maybe explain an experiment we did. Um, we, we asked people um, in a survey uh, which party they would support, right? So and it's in the United States, are you strong Democrat, strong Republican? So at which team do you belong, red or blue? Um, we did that and did a couple of other things. And at some point they, they read a little, uh, a little text and, they, and this was about an abstract issue. Uh, for instance, uh, support for food irradiation. Food irradiation is a thing people do uh, to, uh, to, to clean a certain, um, uh, to, to, to process. It's a part of the food processing procedures. Not a lot of people know about it. Right. And, and so what we say is, well, there's a debate about food irradiation in U.S. politics. Did this among U.S. citizens. And then what we do is we vary the endorsement of the group. So are the Democrats supporting the are the Democrats in favor of banning food irradiation or are the Republicans in favor of banning food irradiation? And if the Democrats are in favor, the Republicans are opposed. And if the Republicans mm. are in favor, the Democrats are opposed. So we, we vary the endorsement of this very abstract policy that we think basically not a lot of Americans have thought about. What we then do is, well, having read this, what is your opinion on food irradiation? And what we see in these experiments, very very, um, um, they're very consistent effects that if you are a Democrat and the Democrats support the policy, your average support is also a little bit higher mm -hmm. compared to the situation when the, the Democrats oppose this, the, the policy. Same if you're a Republican, if your Republicans support the policy, you're a little bit more in favor compared to when the Republicans oppose it. Mm -hmm. So what does this now show? This shows that parties can lead issue edit, issue opinions. Mm -hmm. People have a identification with a group. They are Democrats or Republicans. And they want to align their policy positions with their group. So if mm -hmm. their group is in favor, they're going to be a little bit more in favor. Their group is opposed. They move in the direction. This is part of the answer to your question. That one thing that we know is that parties can lead. So parties set the agenda. And because voters aren't not because they are not paying attention or because they're lazy, but because politics is complex, they follow, partly follow the party. But it's too easy to say it's, it's only party, right? Um, citizens obviously partly also uh, lead because citizens can mobilize together. They can decide that, that we care about an issue. Think about uh, the Friday for Future movement, right? Mm -hmm. Young people really voicing a pro-climate uh, opinion and in many countries partly increasing the salience the importance of the issue mm -hmm. parties are obviously going to respond to that and say like hey wait a second we might also need to think about what we think about uh about parties so this is what i mean with the reciprocal cycle there is effects from parties to issues but issues partly determine obviously for which party you're gonna 
which group you want to belong to. So, so um, maybe part of the take-home message of this podcast is it's mm-hmm. it's relatively complex, and uh, and 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 the effects can go in both directions. Mm-hmm. That, okay. So, so your question was, as I understood it, um, mm-hmm. how does this causality work in the network? I think that causality goes in in both directions. And what we really need to do as social scientists to understand this is to carefully design studies that can tease out what is causing what, mm-hmm. and and but to be open-minded that it's not a one-way stream, right? Because you could be part of the group that studies the effects of parties on opinion. Yes, you know, I, I've contributed, for instance, to that literature, but it doesn't mean that issue attitudes and opinions don't influence how you come to support a party yeah. so um sometimes the scientific studies are smaller than the because we need to tease out and and establish one part of the chain mm-hmm. but the complexity for human beings is often more complex than what the individual study can isolate mm-hmm. interesting you talked about fridays for future or climate change and gender yeah. Uh, and let's take that example for yeah. the premise of my second question, which is, yeah. uh, I'm not sure how clearly is our external factors like uh, change of environment for an individual, let's say someone migrated from a third world country to a first world country, yeah. then they have to do this meta thinking that you talked about, which is yeah. thinking about what opinion do I have on climate change? Because primarily that wasn't my most important concern when you're living in, yeah. a, in a third world country yeah. or developing country. Yeah. So I'm not sure how much of these are taken into consideration when these studies are designed. Assuming, um, let's say they are. They are. Yeah. So then the question then becomes is that these uh, these network-based systems that we are studying, where we have some mm-hmm. belief that we hold near and dear to us, whether be yeah. it in climate or anything, um, can they be changed depending on certain factors? And how do I determine, how they have they changed properly or not? Because this is also mentioned a term earlier, which is, um, is there a strength associated with belief? Is there something yeah. called as belief strength? Okay, yeah. that could be quantitatively measured to know that yeah. okay, now that my belief, now that I've moved from let's say India to yeah. Germany, my belief has changed. Yeah, excellent question. Um, yes, we are. We are studying. We to partly study change, right? We need repeated observations of of mm-hmm. citizens. And um, uh, so that's what we call panel data. So you participate at time point one and at time point two, three, four, five, six, and onwards, you continue to participate in the study. These studies are costly and often the individual scientists cannot afford that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there, there are data sources that allow us to do some of that. And that suggests that on the one hand, for many people, their attitudes and beliefs are relatively stable. What does that mean? Most people will not flip from being completely conservative to completely progressive over, uh, over, over a cup of coffee, right? I personally think that is makes sense, right? It, if I speak to somebody at the daycare center or the school, it's not this five-minute conversation that, that completely flips somebody in one direction or the other. Uh, I think normatively that might also partly be a good thing, right? We're not per se whimsical citizens who just blow in the wind with whatever piece of information they encounter. Um, on the other hand, we do see that citizens update their beliefs. And, and what you mentioned, uh, migration, is a, uh, is a really interesting case. Um, because uh, you, you, you get people, for instance, you mentioned India, um, mm-hmm. 
born and raised in a different society, um, moving to another part of the world with a different set of different culture, different habits, what part do people adopt and what part of their socialization maintains? Uh, that, is, that is a really interesting uh, study design that, that has, has been used a little bit, but not terrible to understand how belief systems develop. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and this is what I, I wanted to say, I do think politicians and parties play a big role here. Um, and, and therefore the environment, I think. So, so, so I think migration could be a big influence to say like, now I suddenly think about certain aspects very differently than I, I used to think. If you move from a relatively conservative, uh, traditional communal-based country to a individualistic country like Germany or the Netherlands, that, that is a, that is a, a change. Um, and, but what we see in the literature, and I think we also see that in society is I think that, that politicians have a important role in what aspects of a belief system they activate and the, and the connections that they can strengthen. We've talked about climate, progressive climate in a country like the Netherlands and, and you guys are in Germany I'm not 100% sure how that is in Germany, but in the Netherlands, um, the anti-climate opinion, so actually ignoring or rejecting the idea that climate change is happening, has mm-hmm. in the last few years really taken a... A couple of politicians have really publicly taken a stance on this. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what you now see is they also activate a group of people. Obviously, yeah. this is a group of people who might be somewhat susceptible to this. Yeah. But they do start to take over that rhetoric. Right. And, and so this is where a spiral can happen. Politicians active, start, start with the position. Media covers it. And for instance, the, the, the far right in the Netherlands uh, gets its fair share of attention in media, especially when they say things like this get into the media, citizens are exposed to it and partly start to adopt, especially that there is a, like not everybody is a far right supporter in the Netherlands, right? But there is a group of people who has some sympathy for it. And the, especially the people who are somewhat attached to these parties, some sympathy to these parties, they hear that anti-climate and suddenly that, that, that neglect of climate change is becoming part of the, a stronger part of the belief system because politicians connect it to them mm-hmm. and they, bring, they make it more central. And that's where I think politicians and media have to carefully think and consider what, what they do, right? I'm all for, but let me be very clear here, everybody can have its own opinions, right? Mm-hmm. There's freedom of expression, but... If you think about, I find the end, the, the climate change, uh, the, the the rejection of the idea of climate change very interesting because it uh, it's my sense that it's become more central to the belief system of a group of the Dutch population as it's been activated by mm-hmm. by far right politicians and and that's that's where you get these instances where this spiral from issues to politicians, politicians to issues, mediated by both social media and traditional media. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a you, you mentioned some very interesting points and I guess you also said that some of the research is still mm-hmm. lagging enough data to support mm-hmm. of what we are discussing mm-hmm. and 
my my next question might even yeah. have less yeah. data. I'm not sure, but that's <laughs> my feeling. But I'm still gonna ask. So. I think just sticking to, for example, the uh, taking the example of migration. So let's say 20 people migrated from India to Germany or Netherlands, just taking uh, continuing with the example. Um, there is a high possibility that uh, all of them might have very varying, well, they might have very similar views, of course, depends where they come from, but there's also a high chance that some of them will have very different yeah. uh, change in belief or drastic shift in belief than the others. So I was, I'm curious uh, yeah. what exactly plays in the role that some people yeah. are able to change their yeah. beliefs much more yeah. than the others. Um, I, I would again yeah. use the term strongly held belief because I think that's more interesting. And that's like, as you said, the yeah. beliefs which you cannot change over the cup of coffee and some others are not able to, no, so, uh, able to change um, them. A big line of research in political science research mostly uh, suggests that um, the extent to which you are politically sophisticated, so that's how the, that the term that we then use, which is a bit of a complex term, but it captures the degree to which you have interest and knowledge about politics. So what is knowledge? Do you know... Like, do you know the procedures in parliament? Like how many... What is the size of the parliament? Who are the ministers? Uh, so we ask knowledge with these factual questions and the extent to which you indicate you're interested. So higher sophisticated people, the, the idea, and there's quite some evidence for this, have a more coherent belief system in the sense that what theorists would define a coherent belief system so that you pair things right. logically that go together in a sense anti-abortion, anti-gay mm -hmm. rights, anti-immigration. Um, that so, so that it's a coherent, from a theoretical perspective, coherent belief system. Well, people who are lower on this sophistication, less interest, less knowledge, for them, their belief system, that's their belief system, but it might be less coherent when we think about what would be considered typical liberal, what would be considered typical, uh, typical conservative. Um, so why do mm -hmm. I introduce this? The idea would be that the more sophisticated you are, the stronger and more consistent your belief system is, the less it might be affected by temporary or small influences from things like media or uh, specific politicians saying stuff. Because you, you just know what you mm -hmm. think about the world. Um, this is one line of thinking. Yeah. Sorry, before we move forward, what do you mean by sophistication here? So it's a concept that we say we measure this among people with asking people how interested are you about politics and, and asking them procedural <laughs> questions about politics. So how many people are in the in the Dutch parliament? Uh, who is this minister? So basically people who have enough understanding of how, let's say, democratic yeah. in this case uh, systems work, let's say, more or less. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's basically a proxy of knowing things about politics mm -hmm. and having interest in it because some people know right. stuff but they don't care, yeah. right? Let me just be a citizen. Uh, so it's it's this factual based knowledge combined with a interest mm -hmm. that you wanna you follow it. And if if you score all high on that, we say you're sophisticated, and that comes with a relatively coherent. Mm -hmm set of beliefs 
Why is that? Well, you're you're thinking about it. You're paying attention. You're reading about it. You you enjoy it. Right? Many people when they read mm-hmm. the newspaper starts with the sports page, but people who are sophisticated starts with politics. Right? Um, um, you are and- offending a lot of people right now, by the <laughs> way, with that statement. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, Paul, I start with the sports page right away, but, but, even though I'm sophisticated, but um, lower sophisticated, uh, lower sophisticated um, in a strand of research has been considered normatively bad um, because we ideally in an ideal democratic society, we want people mm-hmm. to pay attention to politics and to know stuff about it. Right. We also know that sophistication coincides with participation. So therefore, we people there's a lot of effort in increasing sophistication, like civic education, right? We go classrooms, get exposed to politics, students go to parliament. Uh, we we want to increase that. But there's a downside uh, to this to this high levels of sophistication. Um, because some of the work that I and others have been doing suggests that the people who are highly sophisticated, especially when they're also highly attached to political parties, so they they know stuff about it, they care about politics, and they have a very specific preference about a particular party. These are the people that most likely to follow their party in any direction so on the one hand they have a coherent belief system but they also want to align that belief system with their with their with their with their shared identity so they care about the party they're democrats and they care about being a democrat so people who have the capacity to reason about politics and should have this strong identification with a particular party are actually the people who are most likely in the experiments that I described earlier when we mm. vary the group endorsement to follow the party, which is a bit of a contradiction, right? Because on the one hand, I say, yeah, the higher sophisticated have a more coherent belief system. But on the other hand, it they use that cognition to think about politics to align mm. that belief system with the party they support. And this is where it can be trick, become tricky because think about, for instance, the case of US politics. More and more politicians in the last mm-hmm. one and a half, two decades have become more extreme. Both Democrats and uh, especially Republicans, but also Democrats have moved a little bit. They've become more extreme. If these extreme politicians are followed mostly by the people who are highly engaged in politics and strongly attached, then you get this reinforcing cycle where these politicians push the most engaged, Mm -hmm. strong identifiers also more to the extremes. And these people who are strongly identified with the party and engaged, these people might also be the people that vote and turn out the most, especially in Mm -hmm. things like primary elections. So this is important in the US system, right? There's primary elections where only a subset of the population actually nominates candidates. That's for the presidency, but it's also for the governor elections and the local local elections. And if the most extreme uh, and most sophisticated and strongest identifying are electing these politicians that then Mm -hmm. become more extreme, you get this reinforcing cycle. So there is a tension here that we often think 
that it's really good to be engaged in politics because it comes with maybe a little bit more coherent belief system. But it might also be the people who are most motivated to, to defend their beliefs and therefore might be less willing to come to compromises and think mm-hmm. to think about the other side of the political spectrum. And, and, and that is, I think, uh, an important aspect to consider at the moment. So, so just to link it back to my question about yeah. who, what kind of determines certain like significant shift in their beliefs in people, yeah. according to you is defined by how sophisticated they are. So my, so what you're trying to say, maybe I misunderstood it, but yeah. my understanding is the more sophisticated they are, they are more resistant to change almost because they already have a like a, almost of a complete worldview yeah. in their opinion so which is to me quite interesting and and feels opposite of how at least i see the world yeah no um yeah so it's a bit of a tension the, the most sophisticated are the people who might have a little bit more coherent belief system mm-hmm. But they're also willing. They're also motivated to defend it mm-hmm. and to 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 uh, to stick to it, which is maybe not always the most ideal. Especially if politicians pushes to the to the sides, that might be the moment when um, the most sophisticated are actually not willing to see the other side. Mm-hmm. So if we think about why this is all matters mm-hmm. for the things we see in society, it's obviously societal polarization. And um, if the mm-hmm. most sophisticated are especially motivated to defend their belief system, mm-hmm. so to defend their existing beliefs, they might be less willing to look at the other side of the mm-hmm. aisle, the political aisle, and think mm-hmm. about the other's perspective or even come to terms, right? And and that mm-hmm. that that is a that is a risky development. Um, so where in previous work it was suggested it's the low sophisticated who just blindly follow parties and therefore cause yeah. polarization, it might actually be the opposite. It's that the most sophisticated they have the coherent belief system, but they're also motivated to follow their groups, and these people might actually be pushing polarization. Mm-hmm. But uh, but but just to and maybe again again it's uh, I might have a wrong, a wrong narrative but uh, like what we see in United States at least um, also in their previous two elections yeah. let's say um, quote unquote more sophisticated yeah. people tend to vote less yeah. and yeah. more non sophisticated by by the definition you used of sophisticated mm-hmm. people and more so uh, quote unquote non sophisticated people come out more to vote and of course somehow they tend to be towards the one party or the other even especially in primary elections if you take the example of that i think more non sophisticated people per se especially for republicans come out um so so i i wonder how does this theory like to me the the theory which you suggested kind of uh, it goes against what data suggest Or, or at least yeah. yeah no i think i think i think here we are arriving at what i said earlier right um there are complex uh, factors at play here and especially um when we think about turnouts uh, things get more complicated 
because um, mm. there are more that determines whether or not you turn out than, uh, than the extent to which you're sophisticated. Uh, in fact, there are many factors that are more important, right? And especially in the United States, there are many other, yeah. and it's not only individual factors, there are also structural factors, right? Uh, in many states, it's much more difficult to vote uh, due to all sorts of... Gerrymandering and stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah and regulations, right? Sure. Voter registration, which coincides with uh, race and class. Sure. Uh, in a sense. And, and so um, I'm not saying this is the universal and one explanation that determines why we see polarization in U.S. politics, okay. uh, because that would uh, oversimplify the story right. and would um, not pay enough tributes and importance to uh, structural factors uh, uh, and other individual factors. Mm -hmm. But what I'm saying in terms of the belief system is that there is an interesting tension that on the one end we have for a while thought it's really nice and beneficial if you're sophisticated because your belief system is coherently structured that's nice right you you know you're consistently left-wing or you're consistently right-wing mm. consistently progressive consistently pro pro conser uh, conservative mm. but that comes with the downside that these sophisticated people use that attention and cognition about politics to also defend that belief system mm -hmm. and if we think that we want to overcome polarization by bringing people together on issues like climate change, migration, um, uh, inequality, then that sophistication might partly prevent people right. from actually coming to see eye to eye. And mm -hmm. the lower sophisticated might be more persuadable and more, you could almost say reasonable mm -hmm. to see arguments and maybe adopt part of the arguments on the other side. And, you know, I'm not a politician, but politics is often complex and it's it's often not black or white, right? Mm -hmm. In a sense, it's not good or bad. There's yeah. not the so so that's what I wanted to say. But but how this plays out in the election, in particular elections, that's that's beyond what I I, I that's okay. beyond uh, 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 what I I should be able to say about this. Yeah. Okay. But maybe to add like possibly a naive opinion and adding a different yeah. color to this picture. Um, when you say that it's a bit confusing that sophisticated peoples are hard to convert in one sense or the yeah. other, just roughly averaging out here, to yeah. me that that's not that much contradictory from my very limited psychological understanding of it. Because yeah. let's say you have enough knowledge and information and you commit to a cause or ideology yeah. or anything, yeah. then your brain does retrospective reasoning. Yep. Just and then that plays into confirmation bias, making your beliefs yep. in a feedback cycle more stronger and stronger, hereby reducing the degree of open mindedness one could have. Yeah. So to me, yep. that's in some way a cycle, in some cases, unfortunately, vicious enough for them to change the opinions. To me, it doesn't sound that contradictory if we look from psychological perspective. No, process. no, 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 no. I, I, I've stayed away a little mm. bit from the, mm. from the, the psychological mechanism, yeah. but yes, that, that is, this is exactly the mechanism that, that we, mm. that we assume underlies this, right? We, we, we try to reduce dissonance and we are, uh, we are more convinced by evidence that is confirm that aligns with our beliefs. We are, when we hear things that, that contradict our beliefs, we want to mm -hmm. counter argue and neglect that. Mm -hmm. um, and um, this is a particularly true for the people who are more sophisticated because it takes some effort to do all yeah. this, right? Mm -hmm. If you, uh, 
some of the work I have done shows that this is also partly effectively charged. So we put people in, um, in uh, we, we didn't, didn't only, uh, we didn't ask their emotional states, but we measured their physiological responses to messages that they agreed or disagreed. So what are physiological responses? So arousal is sort of intensity of the affective, uh, of the affective experience. So we measure that with uh, placing electrodes on the fingertips. And if you get more aroused, um, you get more secretion in certain sweat glands. And for instance, on your fingertips, you have quite a few sweat glands. And um, there's a tiny bit of electricity running over these electrodes. And what we know from electricity is that it's better conducted when, you, uh, when, when, when there's a little bit more fluid. So the conductance is higher as a sign you're more aroused. But arousal can be positive and negative, right? You can be aroused by something you agree or disagree with. Mm -hmm. And so valence is a way we, we measure it with facial electromyography. So we place electrodes on places that have been uh, on, on muscle groups in the face that have been known to be a tiny bit more activated when you, uh, when you experience negative or positive effect. So above the eyebrow, there's the corrugator muscle uh, known to be activated when you uh, experience negative effect in exposure to negative effective pictures for instance the corrugator muscle gets activated it's not like this right it's it's tiny bits of contractions mm -hmm. and the sigomaticus here pulls up the the uh, the the smile it's basically the smiling muscle is activated when you when you uh, experience a positive effect so what we did is we went through the netherlands with our mobile lab mm -hmm. went to uh cultural festivals, evangelical gathering, a, a biker event, a state fair, uh, to get a diverse sample, right? To not just rely upon university students who have, especially when it comes to their political beliefs, a relatively narrow, uh, a narrower set of, uh, the distribution is more narrow. They're on average at the University of Amsterdam more progressive. So we went across different places to get a more diverse sample. And what we did is we showed them on a series of political issues, uh, climate, immigration, uh, European Union, we showed them uh, an inequality. We showed them a message, and that's a, a, a video message we composed. Uh, mm -hmm. It's this, the same footage. Uh, immigration like the migration flows from 2016 2017 and then a speech actor recorded a pro-immigration or anti-immigration message and we put that under that same video material and people saw a pro or anti-immigration message um, at the start of the study we measured their attitudes to immigration then they were connected to these biosensors the computer flipped the coin you see a pro-immigration or anti-immigration message and what we see is that um, if you're pro-immigration seeing an anti-immigration message or if you're anti-immigration attitudes and you see a pro-immigration message, so the message is incongruent with your political beliefs, that's the moment when we see more activation of this corrugator muscle. Um, do we see more activation of the sigomaticus positive effect when the message aligns with your beliefs? So pro-immigration, pro-message, pro anti-immigration, anti-message. We didn't see much evidence uh, uh, of, uh, of this. Um, why is that? Well, sigomaticus is really hard to measure. Uh, people have beards like you guys. Uh, 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 it's hard to place it there. Uh, it's also more complicated muscle to capture. There are much more uh, muscles around uh, on the cheek than that there are above your eyebrow. Mm. eyebrow. Um, so why does this, this matter? So what we see also is that the people who have more activation of the corrugator, 
in response to these messages. So it was not just immigration, right? We saw this across these political uh, messages, inequality, climate, and, uh, and, and migration uh, and the European Union. Mm -hmm. We did this in the Netherlands, by the way. Um, we also saw that that corrugator activity was associated with more change of the attitudes after the beliefs, after we, we saw the message, because we after the message, we asked them again, so what do you think about migration, about climate, mm -hmm. about uh, inequality, mm -hmm. about uh, European Union? And we saw that change in the attitudes, the more effective, effective activity, negative effective activity, the more change in these attitudes. So it's a sign that indeed, this is not just a, rational uh, uh, process that we do, but it's actually an effectively charged uh, uh, process. Mm -hmm. uh, and, 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 uh, and that suggests that, um, that our psychology plays a big role in, in, in this and, that, um, and that, that it's not only cold rational reasoning, mm -hmm. but it's hot effective reasoning. And, and we think that is important to understand because too often we think about humans in the domain of politics as if they're cold rationalizing computers, but yeah. we are as we are at any part of where we are in our jobs, in our lives, right. uh, 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 we are bringing our emotions right. uh, in it and, and they partly uh, uh, shape how we reason about things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not not surprised at all, actually, <laughs> that I, I, I feel like even if we are able to observe uh, the, the smiling muscle, as you said, if you are able to even measure it, I feel like the negative emotions are probably going to be higher anyways. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, 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 and smiling might also be two ways, right? If you, you, you might actually smile mm -hmm. as sort of a way of showing content when right. you disagree. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, well, well. Um, and, and the other thing is um, how positive would you feel when you hear something you agree with, maybe that is less strong yeah. than how negative that's, that's you respond to, to something yeah. you disagree with. Yeah, yeah. I I was wondering, so just taking a step back and like going mm -hmm. a bit towards earlier discussion of like belief formation. Yeah. And I think yeah. you mentioned a couple of things which affects uh, formation of belief, like parents, mm -hmm. uh, like, like the environment you grew up in. Of course, there are external factors as well. I was wondering... Um, for instance, since we are talking uh, strict, uh, like mostly about political beliefs, but I think it also applies to religious beliefs. So, so people who grew up in certain type of uh, belief system. So, let's say if you are a kid who is born in a Republican family, like a very conservative Republican family, and then uh, if we observe the life of this kid, twenty-five years later, we found this this kid become actually quite progressive, quite left. Yeah completely yeah. on the other side right but they yeah. grew up in a completely different household similarly yeah. people who grew up in a very uh, mm -hmm. religious family becoming agnostic yeah. but rather i think the opposite is better where they grew up in a non-religious family yeah how do they form religious beliefs yeah. in itself so so i was wondering how does that play out you can give an example with the political yeah so um, so um the best way I think this has been studied is in the United States, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, where um, many kids um, move away from their family when they go to college, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and 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 move quite far away, right? So uh, the states are that even if you move within a state, you quite often move quite far away, right. and that's often the first time you really move away from the 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 family structure. Mm -hmm. 
and you you start to get really unique experiences independent from whether or not you were born and raised in a conservative Christian family to a very progressive uh, state. And especially these colleges bring together a diverse group. And then in the United States, many kids spent their first year in um, in a dorm. Mm. And that pairing in the door, you, you actually share a room mm. and uh, and you share a room with somebody that 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 could be come from a very different background than you are mm. in terms of class, in terms of religion. And and so what what these studies have shown is that this college period is a relatively formative period for beliefs mm. where beliefs start to diverge from the family the original mm. nuclear family. You're, you, mm. So because you move away, you get new influences, new friends, that then the, the effects of your family born, the, your born and raised get a little weaker while mm. the environmental influences become stronger. Mm. And that's, so you ask like how that shift, I think contributes quite a bit to why we see that over time, beliefs can change but it i should say this we know too little about this we know because we lack Mm -hmm. partly lack the data where we really follow kids Mm -hmm. until they mature there's some of it there's some of it um but but it's um it it is a um it's costly and Mm. uh and and complicated to study because you need to follow them over many years but but um so where does this can this big change happen is especially when um when we um when we for instance as you said move to another country like Mm. uh uh, move from india to germany uh far away from from existing culture and family you adopt some of it uh maybe Mm. if you would go back to india 20 years later you might feel very detached for partly from from that the society you have partly adopted beliefs and habits that are different from what you were used to um And, and, and that's the same if you, if you uh, especially in a big country like the United States, uh, move away to, to, uh, to, to for college, it, that, that's changing. If you think and the Netherlands is a much smaller country, many kids, when they go study, they either stay at home or they actually go back to their parents every weekend. So the, maybe then that, that, that connection stays stronger than, mm-hmm. uh, than it, if you only come back for Thanksgiving and, uh, and maybe Christmas. Uh, so so there, there's this... So, so big changes in environment, I think, are partly responsible for these big changes. But that could, so that's college. But that could also be right the emergence of a political movement. Mm-hmm. Or think about think about the period that we live in right now. The the corona cor- corona might might reshape partly how uh, the 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 societal conflicts, and you might gravitate to one of these groups. One other thing that Sarah Hobolt in the United Kingdom has shown that Brexit in the United Kingdom has really created different camps across lines that were previously you were progressive left wing or conservative right wing. But suddenly Brexit redefined their conservatives who are pro or anti-Brexit and their Uh, liberals who are left-wing people were pro anti-Brexit. So it redefines political conflict and it might reshape alliances and it might therefore also change partly your consist your, the rest of your belief system. So it's not just social environment, but, but it might also be uh, political, uh, political developments. 
Mm. Interesting. Um, the premise of this started with the religious thing that you asked. And just to add two cents to it, this is one of the questions that I keep asking everyone around me, probably bothering many, which is, um, let's say someone is admittedly atheist or agnostic. Mm -hmm. And then if you ask them that, who do you look up to when you're deep down in trouble and shit hits the fan? Mm -hmm. Very rarely have I gotten the answer that um, no one. Mm -hmm. And if we go by the theory that you just explained that the bonds with the family mm -hmm. through which let's say the religious upbringing mm -hmm. came into being, if they were loosened or they were tight, I think it's it's much more, there's much more nuance to that than that connection, uh, if I have to add to that, and probably much more complexity to it as we have been, that's the theme of this conversation in one way that there's much more complex than we would like to categorize it into one box. So yeah. that is that is all. So the definition you give is, is, is also quite interesting that the distance effect or the um, vicinality of a human being also changes the way certain things could affect them. So yeah, interesting. I, I think I'm increasingly thinking we should discipline. My my work is, is inherently interdisciplinary, and I, I think disciplinary specialization has the advantage that we can learn a lot about one particular influence. Yeah, like we can learn a lot about psychology, psychological processes. We learn a lot about the sociological influences, but but to some extent, um, treating. You know, I have a muck here in my hands, mm -hmm. right? It's the muck of my hot politics lab, and I could, I could drop it, and it could break, and I can recreate that endlessly. I can create the same uh, humidity, the same height, the same, and this, and I could redo this again and again and again, and I can come up with some sort of law about how this muck muck breaks. Um, the complex thing about humans is that there are many factors that shape how we interact in uh, in 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 the social uh, political world and it, on the one hand the specialization has been very useful that we know very we know quite a few factors that play a, a bit of a role in how we form our beliefs about politics but i think the bigger question might be to try to connect some of these influences how does the psychological processes interact with the unique environmental processes and and that that requires probably more of a complex systems approach mm -hmm. than that we are maybe doing right now and, and maybe contemporary university systems that focus on specialization where journals want narrow but very thoroughly investigated contributions mm -hmm. partly limit us to connect the bigger dots and and that so i think that that requires that uh, but given the importance of politics in the 21st century, yeah. I think we should we should try to understand it. because if we understand it, why do we want to understand it? Mm -hmm. We want if we understand it, then we might also have a better sense of what we can do to, for instance, tackle things like societal polarization, which we have seen in many countries in the world. In the end, can 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 partly threaten democracy uh, in a sense that people might be willing to do things that that are challenging to democracy and and that therefore I think we should try to understand it uh, because then we can also offer uh, a specific interventions to not to make people more left wing or right wing but that we can try to bring people together because that is in in, in fact the I think the ultimate goal right it's not left-wing academics who try to uh, uh, to to force their opinions on uh, on on society that's really not like why are we studying politics because we're trying to understand the processes that influence how we 
think about politics with the goal of in the end maybe trying to bring together groups and and creating at at minimum mutual understanding of people in different camps i think uh, on that beautiful note of uh, we should bringing uh, doing more interdisciplinary research uh, uh, we would like to say thanks to you i think yes. it was a very interesting conversation and it was very insightful to hear some of the studies you have been doing or in general in the field of political beliefs uh, so thanks a lot for taking your time early in the morning yeah really thank you for great. taking out time apart from the many things that we will take away from this i think a personal takeaway for me would be that probably my beard is getting in the way of scientific research so <laughs> <laughs> and so. and the cliche that politics is complex <laughs> is true as as justified by political scientists right here <laughs> and and of course we we will uh, just want to also mention that uh, that you have been doing also some very interesting research and we will link Uh, yeah. to your to your website and the uh, your university page where people can also yeah. find your publications if they are interested yeah, in that i'll send a couple of the papers that i mentioned i'll send them to you yeah, uh, if sure. you send me a reminder i'll uh, i'll i'll send the we'll links to do that. we will surely yeah. do that and we will add them all in our show notes so thanks once again yeah yes okay thanks a lot uh, guys for the excellent questions hey guys if you have reached this point uh, in the episode then thanks a lot for listening to the entire episode We really hope that you find the episode informational as much as we did. Before you leave, just one small request: if you want to keep track of what we are releasing every week, or want to know more about the additional content which we produce regularly, please follow us on our social media. Our Instagram is info under the radar. On Twitter, we are at the rate info under radar. We are also active on LinkedIn. Uh, that's also info under the radar. That's it for now. Bye.